This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the phone on the show. show, show. Something going on in New York today that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, I, Mets players had... It's not even a silent protest. They were they were throwing thumbs down at the fans yesterday in the midst of a, a victory, a nine four victory it. over the Washington Nationals. I do too. There's there's something to get into because Javi Baez, who's going to be a free agent, I'll say this: I'm becoming a fan. I'm be, I'm becoming a huge fan and an advocate for Javi Baez. But right now, it's time for Blue Forty Two. We've got Brock Hewitt joining us. Here we go. This is Blue Forty Two. We're gonna go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, halfback, flat, on two, ready, right. Now here's your host. Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Brock, we got a complete Seahawks game with no fourth quarter shenanigans, winning the game in the fourth quarter on Saturday night, and a lot of standouts. I really liked what I saw out of Marquise Blair. What did you make out of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, is this question number one? Or yes, is this it is. Just kind of setting the table for the rest of the time. A little bit of both. Hey, by the way, as far as the Mariners conversation, I like Baez, but you know what I like more? Starting pitching. Starting mm. pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. Uh, yeah, Who are you Mar- going to buy? Who are you going to buy as a starting I, pitcher, though? Yeah, I know. That it's not a tremendous, a tremendous market. You never know how gonna, that totally unfolds. Coochie, right? Uh... Yes, yes, you are, Brock. Don't make that noise. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get a pitcher better than Yusei Kikuchi for fifteen million dollars. Been quite a precipitous slide, Danny. Yep. There's num- numbers you can spin any which way you want to tell his story, both good and bad. So, I, I, these this month September pretty big for Mister Kikuchi as this team's in the race. Like I, I don't think three or four starts or makes that decision completely. But this stays off the tracks as it's been for the last two months. I'm a little worrisome about that investment, but we're here to talk football. We're not here to talk yes. any, any more baseball. Marquise Blair, ooh, Paul, I liked him. And I got to tell you, is and, and this was some of the plan last year before that torn ACL, was they were really going to try to be, I think in some ways, ahead of the curve, not even outside the box, but ahead of the curve with the with the systems that they're facing, the Shanahan system, with, with Debo Samuel, with, with all the jet sweep, with all the little Rams guys that, that bubble screen and, and jet sweep you and little option routes. I, I think there was a belief from Pete and his staff that Marquise Blair was was that was that system's kryptonite. Mm. Physical off the edge. You okay, you want to run jet sweep? Run right into this guy that will absolutely tear your head off. Twitchy enough in space to cover little option routes and long enough as well at six foot two, you know, six foot three, and then finally just just an ex, just explosive, just just able to to cover, able to hit, able to finish, able to have a presence on the edge at that nickel kind of big nickel position as he would be, and then unfortunately all of that derailed with a significant ACL injury. Been nice to see him, and like most ACLs, it takes a while to come back. I know he had a nice OTA season, was slowed with some injury during camp. That didn't surprise me at all. So this will be 100% about his health because if he is healthy, I can't wait to watch that dynamic play that position against this kind of offense in this division. Can he turn and run with dudes? Yeah, He's I think have so. to do that, right? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I, I think he is plenty fast enough, Danny. I, he's pretty. He's a pretty unique specimen, man, as far as just his – his explosion. He was a guy that I loved a couple years ago when they made that pick 
because having called college football, which I'm doing again this year, I'm kind of excited about and get a chance to see so many of these guys, he was the one that, man, he was John Lynch-esque as far as his short area explosion. He would just knock the lights off you and out of you and everything else. So, And on top of it, could run, could play, and, and did play a ton of a high safety center field sideline to sideline for Whittingham there at Utah. So this is all about his health, the comfort that he feels in those legs, and, and just how close all of that explosiveness is to coming back. Sure looked good on display over the weekend. You can knock someone's lights out. Yep. Or Turn their lights be, off. You, you can beat the brakes off of them. You can't knock the lights off of someone. Are you sure? What if you, yes. turn, those, what if you turn their lights off and they're just yeah. unconscious? Yeah, okay. That works. That works. <laughs> okay. Like Tyron Woodley failed to do with Jake Paul last night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, golly. Why does that guy keep winning, Danny? Because it's fixed. <laughs> like, I didn't think this before. It's fixed. <laughs> He's a boxer who's not fighting boxers. Yeah, yeah. But even then, even then. Even then, he should have he he should have lost. I, I, there's no explanation. Didn't for he fight why. Mayweather? Didn't he fight? No, that's the other one, and that uh, was fixed too. Okay. <laughs> like, there there was a moment where it was pretty clear that Floyd Mayweather knocked him out. No, they're they're, they're paying people money to be uh, be allowed to remain relevant. Reality Can't knock the TV. Hustle. It, it's a grift. <laughs> uh, question two. All right, Brock. What's your scouting report on Daryl Taylor? Well, you heard Mr. Wyman, Mr. Dave Wyman, he of of the DNA that hates scouting terms. Danny, yes. when, you, when you worked with him for all those afternoons, how much disgust came out of that salty old linebacker's mouth when he would hear Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and Daniel Jomama say things like bend, knee flex, angular. Honestly, how frustrated was Dave Wyman in those days with, with scouting nomenclature? Yeah, he doesn't care for that. But what he really hates is talking about uh, the five technique or the three technique or the one technique. <laughs> okay. Like, that's what he really hates. Well, did you... like, hey, he played five technique, but he really struggles at three technique. He's like, oh, really? So if he lines up on the other side of the fat guy's shoulder, yes. like you're on one side instead of the other, he's like, oh, I have no idea what to do here because I'm six inches to the left. That was what really drove Did you hear Dave, though? Did you hear no, him talk about Ben? Oh, Yeah. On Daryl Taylor's sack, he's like, see what I'm talking about? Look at the low center of gravity. Look at his bend. Most humanoids fall flat on their face if they try to to run and and bend at at the level that he does. And I was like, oh, Wyman, look at you, little scout. Put that little scouting hat on, Dave. Or you've been listening too much to the personnel guys and the scouts in that building. But it's true. It's true. When he dipped and ripped, and they call it kind of speed to power, which he has – but more importantly, just beating that left tackle off the block in a loud venue, which is why you drafted Bruce Irvin, which is why you drafted this guy, because you have a half-step advantage at home when the 12s are cranking, which they were on Saturday. And he was able to get off the ball, albeit against a, a backup left tackle for the Chargers, but he embarrassed him and, and dipped and ripped and got below him and was bending in ways that I don't think there's another Seahawk that could do that. I think of every one of those D-linemen, as proud as they are, Walked into your studio there and tried to make that move. And you said, okay, right? They, they run around that hula hoop. You, you see them do that at practice, that huge hula hoop. That's why they do that. They want to see your center of gravity, your balance, your, your ability to dip and bend and still run at full speed. I don't think there's another Seahawk that can do that. Mayo is probably close. 
Um, Dunlap does it differently with his size and length. As far as just explosion and balance and body control, Daryl Taylor showed you why he was a second-round pick. He has been working on that specific move all camp, Brock, and it's been interesting to see the progression from where he was at the start, where he still wasn't able to turn the corner quite as quickly as you want to see. But now that bend that you mentioned, his ability to get that left shoulder down when he's running off of the right side, you want to see a pass rusher develop one great move before they start diving into other things. I heard Chris Long talking about that this offseason, and if he can get that one move, then after that, potentially he can unlock other ones. So it's great to have like that one foundational. If you're going to compare it to like a pitcher well, pitch that you have to go to on a regular basis, absolutely, Paul, and especially that one, because if you have that one, you strike a ton of fear into a left tackle. Who knows, man? I got to get off the football and get my hands on this guy, or he's going to be by me, and all I can do is hold. And in playing in that stadium, in particular, you put that thought into a left tackle. It's false starts. It's holding calls, it's frustration, and then from that one, you know, then you put on the spin cycle, and that's what Dwight Freeney. I mean, Dwight yeah. Freeney was was short, but when he made that move, Paul, and I got to watch that for two years in practice. I mean, you just felt you felt bad for those left tackles or tight ends. You had almost no chance. There was no surface area to try to get your hands on, and with the quickness and speed and power that they do it with, yeah, man. That as I said, it's why you traded up in the draft to go get that guy. Brock, are they going to use that position differently? Because strong side linebacker has typically not been a pass rush position in Seattle. With Daryl Taylor in that spot, are they going to use it differently? I don't think so. Those were in the in the second and a half were both when he was just that you know nickel four down pass rusher on the end, okay. hand in the ground. That wasn't from base defense. And um, could they still do that, Danny? Sure, they, they absolutely could, and play a little zone pressure behind it, and and you could. But then you're coming around a tight end. Right, you know, and, and there's just a, a lot more ground to cover, real estate to cover. His his damage that he did was a little more your traditional second and passing, third and passing, eleven personnel on the other side, nickel pass rush, right? Kind of what Bruce Irvin did when he would flip from strong side linebacker into that mode and passing downs. I miss Bruce. <laughs> yes, you do. That's all. So so does Rabel. No, Bruce! (laughs) Question number three. Brock, Danny and I both think this is the case, but we are basing it off of one preseason game. Alex Collins definitely looked better than Rashad Penny on Saturday night. It's not like Penny played poorly. Is Alex Collins better as the backup running back option for the Seahawks in 2021 than Rashad Penny? I think right now that answer is yes. I, I think Rashad has a still higher ceiling. I think he's. I think he's more home run capability. Alex Collins is, to your baseball analogy earlier with a pitcher, is a lot more doubles and doubles and doubles. Uh, whereas Penny, it feels like it's a single or home run. There's very little in between there, and and I, I think that he's done. If this is about competition and compete every day, Alex Collins has been durable and available in camp. He's come down slimmer. His feet look as good as they did back in the day in college when I saw him multiple times rush for over 1,000 yards every season for Brett Bielema. And by the way, shout out to the Illini. Big win over Scott Frost over the weekend. So, yeah, I I think going into this week. uh, uh, Messy, messy deal. And going into this week, (laughs) the message that sends to your team as well is you got to go out there and earn it. Don't care that you're a first-round pick. Uh, You've been out, Rashad Penny, which has been the case for the entirety of your career as a Seahawk. 
Alex Collins has come in. He's done everything we've asked, and he's shown some some highlight real plays and and some incredible quickness and in the feet that uh, that made him a, a thousand yard back in Baltimore. So I think he's going to be the two in Indy, and Rashad should be the three. And and then whether it's Homer or DJ Dallas or whatever special teams machinations there are for this roster to be determined. But I think those are your top three in that order. You've also got. Travis Homer factoring into this, DJ Dallas. Is it possible you trade a running back? And I say this because Baltimore just lost a running back. Good. J.K. Dobbins is expected to be lost for the season. Do you you, you deal a guy? You're probably not going to get more than a fifth-round pick for any of the running backs you have on the roster other than Carson, who you're not going to trade for that. You probably wouldn't trade Collins for that at this point. Do you consider dealing a running back, though? You got a corner out there that you like? Ooh. Ooh, good point. Mm. So you know, I, I think obviously they make the move with Reed, a guy that can that can run a seventh rounder, kind of kind of like that. But can you package a running back and maybe somebody else in an area of, of some strength for another corner? You know, is there or you know a a running back in you know a six round pick for a better corner? I don't I don't know. I mean, th- those are the conversations being had in that building today. Got to set their roster by tomorrow. Be pretty shocked if we don't see somebody from another team come into and make this fifty-three man roster out the gate. As far as I Baltimore, think be a co- there is a Baltimore corner that actually might be on the market too. His name's Sean Wade. Anyway, sorry, Danny. That'd Ooh, be, he's the old Ohio State corner, yes, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, man, that'd be interesting. I hadn't thought of that until you brought up the idea of trading for somebody like that. Would be trying to make you think, Danny Paul. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. What happened in Nebraska? (laughs) Let me ask. Let me ask it this way. It's a really good thing that Nebraska was having all of the um, illicit practices, like where they had the the different guys working with them because they got in trouble for it, right? Like it was COVID pandemic times and they're having practices because if they hadn't done that, it might have been really embarrassing against Illinois. You know the parallel, the, and it's it's a pretty strong one. It's a pretty strong Tyrone correlation. Willingham, Husky era? Nope. Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost at Michigan and Nebraska. Incredibly proud and and pretty, not pretty, dominant brands in college football in the 80s and 90s. National champions in the 80s and 90s. And guys that played in that era in the 80s and 90s when the when the program was foundational with Shim Beckler and, and, and Tom Osborne. And those two, I mean, that, that's kind of my feeling and my sense going into that game. I thought Illinois was going to win. You know, they dominated them a year ago. Nebraska has no speed, no playmaking other than the quarterback. <laughs> Seriously, there's nobody that fe- strikes any fear in you whatsoever as a defense. Kind of like Michigan, frankly, has been yeah. with Harbaugh over the last few years. And it, and then it all falls on the quarterback, and it's all about the quarterback. And then the quarterback feels that, and then what happens? He's going to make mistakes and play that way. And those two, the, the chosen sons coming back, the people that if anybody's going to build the brand back, if anybody understands Michigan, if anybody understands Nebraska, it's Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost. And unfortunately, neither have been able to find enough difference makers on offense to scare you. And and to to complement your team and put a full team together. The one thing you're wrong about though is the unfortunate part. No, it's not unfortunate. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, I love watching it. And and Harbaugh Harbaugh's been much better than Frost has been. Oh, for and, sure. And that and that might be that Whoa. might be a reflection of the situation. Frost won a national championship. What are you talking about? No, as a no, coach. No, a, a UCF. Coach. With yeah, Central Florida. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But like once he got there, I mean I mean Harbaugh's 
Harbaugh's basic thing is they've been good, but they can't get great. They just can't right? beat he, Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> they just get or Florida or, or yep, yeah, or top ten great. ranked teams. Yep. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. We got Alabama playing Miami this weekend out out Florida. <laughs> which which game do you have this week, Brock? I have LSU. Ooh, Chip Zach Fumble, Zach Fumble, Brock Ewer. Yes, at UCLA in the Rose Bowl Saturday night. This oh, man, is I'll bet I'll bet UCLA is really really up for that game. I mean, they handled Hawaii so convincingly; they got no problem with LSU. <laughs> right, right. They're gonna get big run. one, big one for the brand, Danny. Back to pack, big one for the brand. Yeah, sure. I'd like to see it happen. They're they're going to lose by forty. They won't lose by forty. LSU ain't that good, but they'll they they it won't. It isn't Hawaii walking through that door. Gosh, Hawaii! They're gonna lose bad. by twenty. This isn't gonna be. Close, Are you ready Brock. for college football, man? You ready yes. for Clemson, Georgia? You ready for yes. Miami, Alabama? You ready for Penn State, Wisconsin? You ready for all that? Let's go. Yes, let's Montana, go. Montana, you do. Let's do it. Some wazoo on Saturday night. Let's go. Who? <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> Brock. We appreciate it. How many moves, by the way, how many moves by tomorrow roster being set? If the Mariners, we had a two and a half, I think was the over under three trade deadline moves. They went over how many moves via trade legitimate kind of veteran from another place come in here. How many moves over under does John Schneider make today and then tomorrow? Well, it'll be next week because that's when they set their roster is right. Like the the final roster cuts aren't aren't today, are they? Well, I thought they had to set their roster. No, I think the roster cuts are by tomorrow. They have to set their uh, set They're their 53? roster. I believe so. I may, yes, maybe. the fifty three man deadline's tomorrow. Oh, yeah. no kidding. Oh, well, yeah. I was thinking that it was you still had a week, so they're just giving them a couple of days. There'll be three guys that are not on the team now who will be on the team by the time the roster. Oh, I like that number. I like that number. I'll buy that number. All right, Brock. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See. Ya. I just found there out. has been a little bit of a kerfuffle. I was wow. Because I was thinking, because it always was, it was after the final, the final preseason game was on Thursday, and then you'd have to set your roster usually on that Saturday. So I, I was thinking that you had you had a week of practice, but they have to no. set them by tomorrow. So oh, that's getting it's getting right down to it. Snip, snip, snip tomorrow. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see who who ends up making it. I, do you think there will be any surprise cuts? Honestly, Penny's the only one that I could think of as a possibility. But as the professor laid out with us earlier. It would be kind of expensive for them to do that. They would be, I think, uh, costing themselves in dead money more than they would be saving. Well, the only thing that you would gain from that is if you were going to have to cut a player you really wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. If you were going to have to cut. And it would be, say, Travis Homer's not going to make your team. And you're like, the only way we're, we're going to get him through is, is by cutting Penny. And we think Travis Homer is a clearly better player than, than Rashad Penny. Is Travis Homer clearly better no. than Rashad Penny? No, he's not. No, no, no he doesn't have that so. kind of potential. In New York, several players yesterday engaged. I don't even know if is it a protest. What do you call it? So here's the here's the let's set the scenario. The the Mets have gotten a fair amount of vocal feedback from their fans. Not been pleased with Francisco Lindor, who has had an overall disappointing season after being acquired in trade and then paid with a huge deal. It's been an up and down season for them. Javi Baez, who was acquired at the trade deadline. One of, one of the big additions has not exactly set the world on fire since he's, he's come to New York. And New York's a pretty famously, famously vocal fan base. Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, and then Kevin Pillar yesterday, who last I remember got his face broken. I don't know if you remember that in that game earlier this season. Uh, after hits yesterday, gestured thumbs down 
and it was to each other, and it was kind of toward the fans. And yesterday, Javi Baez, after the game, spelled out exactly why they were doing that. It just it just feels bad when 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 we strike out, when I strike out and I get booed. You know, it doesn't really get to me, but like I want I want to let them know that when we success, we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how how it feels. You know, because. If we win together, then we we gotta lose together, you know. And 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 the fans are really big part of it. So, um, in my case, they they gotta be better. I I do hate the line "be better." At the same time, the idea of players booing fans, yeah, I I love it. I think it's great. Honestly, if fans have the right to boo, and I do think that they have the right to boo, if your team is underperforming. And if you're in a beleaguered fan base like that of the Mets and you're frustrated, you're absolutely allowed to take out your frustrations on them. But the players can do the same thing. And if the players are feeling like it's unfair or something like that, that's absolutely the right. Honestly, I think it's also compelling. You know, <laughs> they're being uh, imagine being a heel in your own in your own city. That's a reason to watch, at least for I think the casual viewers to watch this guy and see how he does going up against this angry mob. I was relatively indifferent to Javi Baez up until this season. I now really like him. For this, combined with the way he stood up to Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett's a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds who's very demonstrative. You might remember him as charging the entire Pittsburgh Pirates dugout and and then uh, clobbering several of them. And then as he was being pulled away saying, yeah, I'm like that, which was pretty awesome. Javi Baez and him have gone back and forth, including Javi Baez flipping him the double bird because he didn't like what Garrett was doing. I love it. And Sandy Alderson, who's the Mets president, released a statement basically saying we will not tolerate or condone players making any negative gestures toward the fans. Is the customer always right? Like, are the players because that's I mean, that's that's a standard in American business. Like, you don't fight with the customers. Does that does that hold up for professional baseball players? Like, should is is Alderson because my reaction is no, man, as long as you're not being profane. And as long as there's a symbiotic relationship there, right? Like you, you, you get support from the fans, and you can play to the fans. But if you don't like the way that they're being treated, are you obligated to be be polite and pretend? Okay, okay, you're helping pay my salary, so I got to pretend to put on a smiley face and say I'm going to do it. Or are you like, no, dude, I'm actually I'm a performer, and and I I can react to this crowd however I want. I I think the the randomness is actually good for for the entertainment value side of things, and. You know, for every customer for Danny, for every customer that we have, there there is a bad customer who comes in. Yes, and and that you are just expected to sit there and and take it. Well, what happens if something happens like you saw? And we've discussed this over the last couple of weeks, like the malice in the palace. I mean, were, were the customers right there? Were the few customers who came onto the court? I, I mean, I can understand how the one poor dude who ended up getting socked that, that wasn't even involved in the entire thing maybe thinks, yeah, but those other people that were there, I mean, what were they doing? Now, it hasn't gone to this point in New York, at the very least. And, and maybe, maybe Baez is a little thin-skinned for feeling this way, being in this market. And I definitely I think there's, yeah, there's something of that going on. But if he wants to react this way, fine. He just has to deal with the repercussions for it. I don't think that we should have, like, there are these outraged columns by people in New York. I think Ian O'Connor wrote one. Yeah, and to me, that makes me side with the players more. I'm like, yeah. oh, shut up. You, 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 I mean, you guys are such a tough fan base, blah, blah, blah. Really? Are you? You guys look pretty thin-skinned here. The New York fan is one of these softer. Like that, it's not the actual New York fan, but the perception of the New York fan. And maybe it's the New York media when they speak on behalf of the fan are some of the most thin-skinned and 
kind of pathetic. Like, can you imagine being mad at someone giving you a thumbs down? Like, someone just gives you a thumbs down. Like, it's funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that funny? Like, to me, that's the reaction is it's hilarious. And then afterwards, and if I was a fan that had booed Javi Baez before, I would think, like, well played. Like, that's, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with a player. It makes me like him more. And then to have this, like, we will not tolerate players expressing anything other than positive support. I was like, oh, that's... That's that's some that that's the real weenie level. You want to talk about who's soft in that? Like Javi Baez and the players being bothered by the booze is kind of soft. The Sandy Alderson sh- statement is Charmin soft. Text like a comedian going back at a heckler. I like yes! it. Yes, and wasn't yes! there wasn't there that viral like sort of George R R Martin looking dude who was a Mets fan who who went viral for putting his thumbs down too? I mean, correct. So- I believe he had on suspenders. He was a big Farmer John looking, which is a great. I I think the thumbs down is an underutilized expression I, of distaste. I, I think honestly, it's a Mets tradition at this point. Like why why not keep it going? It's Danny and Gallant coming up next. Who won the weekend? Hint, not the Mariners. Uh. Next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Nathan Bishop, who's a blogger at uh, Lookout Landing, I just tweeted out, a former blogger at Lookout Landing. Uh, Javier Baez is allowed to play for the Mariners and personally give me the middle finger and say the F word to my face every single day. This is my solemn vow. <laughs> Plus one. I'll do that too. Like I'll, ta- I'll take it in good spirit. That text we got from the 360 saying it's like uh, so, uh, a comedian responding to a heckler. I-, I think that's the best analogy that yeah. I've seen. It's What's a fairly harmless that? way to express saying like, hey, if, do, do, if you didn't love me then, don't love me now is essentially what they're saying, right? Yeah. Like, don't, don't boo me and then cheer for me because if you didn't love me then, don't love me now. I rewatched this movie recently. It's one of my favorites. But in Gladiator, when Maximus throws his sword into the stands, they started giving him a standing ovation. So, I mean, clearly just Romans are tougher fans than uh, New Yorkers. Yeah, exactly. It, I think that's I, – I don't think it's New Yorkers too. I think it is the New York – Illiterati, like speaking <laughs> on be on behalf of the fans. I think that's what it is. Illiterati. I love that. I've never heard that word before. Let's let's get to let's get to figure out who won the weekend. We have different. We have a poll. We have different nominations. Who who won this weekend? Who's the best? If you're going to pick one person from the Seahawks game. If you're going to pick one candidate from the Seahawks game, because I don't want to do more than one from a preseason game, who won this weekend from the Seahawks? I want to give it to everybody that was involved, but if we're giving it to one guy, it has to be Alex Collins. I mean, Alex Collins changed everyone's perception of him with the way that he played in this game, and I thought he looked a lot like the guy we saw in 2017. He was bouncing off of tackles. He was making guys miss in the open field and looks like someone that I would want to give Five-plus carries a game to this coming season behind Chris Carson. Other candidates off the team, Marquise Blair. Yes. Cody it, Barton had the big hit, but he basically wasn't blocked on that play, right? And it's true. a blitz. Like, there's a little – if I'm going to get bent out of shape and say it was lame that that they they blitzed a corner against Geno Smith in the first preseason Gotta be on brand. game. Yeah, right. Like, I can't, I can't sit there, oh, so awesome when Cody Barton did that. Uh, D. Eskridge, watching him out there. D. Eskridge looked good, man. Mm-hmm. Fast. Uh, he had that great catch over the middle of the field, and I, I really want to see what he can do in the open field. Uh, Marquise Blair, who we've talked about a lot, too. And after that, hmm. 
I mean, uh, Collins is definitely taking it home. It's interesting. I, I don't think Penny played poorly either. I, I thought he was he, he was the best that he has looked thus far in the preseason as he sto- still is trying to shake off the cobwebs from that injury. But Collins just looked juicy. Like he was bouncing back and forth, eluding people. And, yeah, I, I, I now want every single running back to do Irish step dance. I feel like there is a benefit to that. Uh, put Megan Rapino in the – and and the, the 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 rain the Seattle rain who played in a soccer doubleheader the Sounders didn't beat the Timbers so we can't throw them on there Ugh. but Rapino scored the the rain's first goal should we should we nominate them to satiate sure. the the soccer lovers that are out there yeah that way yeah that way they won't get mad at us for not talking about the Sounders losing two nothing to Portland do we put Jake Paul on there did Jake Paul win the no I, I, in fact I would say boxing's among losers of the weekend right I mean th- th- I I would say I, I feel bad for you Paul. I feel bad for you in this way. So my dad got to watch Muhammad Ali. I, I, I'm old enough to somewhat remember like the great middleweight fighters like Marvin Hagler. Yeah. Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hitman Hearns. Like they were incredible fights. I, I got to experience Tyson. Like I'm a little young, but I was, I was a teenager when, when Tyson rose to prominence and that was like an actual phenomenon and like incredible and then then it became very dark and he goes to jail uh on on a on a rape charge and comes but now like you get Jake Paul I know Jake Paul might be the most famous boxer of your lifetime or Floyd Mayweather who fights I think a decidedly boring style uh yeah and is a horrible human being yeah that's even yeah even worse than that um yeah, my Mike Tyson experience was when he bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. Like that was that was honestly the, the closest thing to prime time boxing I got. I'll be honest, like I'm not I, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I think I would be if it were to the degree that you described for your dad when he was growing up, and for you too. I mean, you got you got at least a taste of it. I mean, I I can I I watched that documentary um, when we were kings recently, and I was like, wow, oh my god. I mean, this must have been the biggest thing going on in the entire world, and they're doing it in a third world like dictatorship country and, and, and George Foreman's going all of the different yeah and Jake Paul's and, got an LED belt on <laughs> <laughs> okay so Jake Paul is not going on there. no boxing lost do we put Salvador Perez on there yes we have to I, Salvador Perez <laughs> let's be honest he won the weekend he won the weekend dude, dude four home runs and clobbered he hit a home run in every single game two grand slams yeah he, he, he seven he for 17 home run in every we need to hear Scott Service again because this is <laughs> his his final hit of the weekend, which oh, was boy. very nearly a game tying home run. And you can hear this is one of the, this is a manager who is pushed to the brink after wanting to avoid the one guy that had beaten them all weekend from being given a chance to tie the game again. This is he Salvador Perez comes to the plate in the eighth inning with a runner on. Here's Scott Service about what he went and said to the pitcher Paul Seawald. I will never forget that mound visit for as long as I. Uh... Uh, and manage the game. Uh, certainly, it's the hottest hitter on the planet uh, the last four days, and, and you go out there, and, you know, with the guy getting on in front of him, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure we executed pitches, and uh, Paul assured me that he was not going to throw him anything he could hit. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we did not execute, um, and we were actually very fortunate that the ball did hit the wall. He assured me he wasn't going to hit. But look, Seawall's the one you trust the most of all those pitchers, so maybe he's having a little fun there. I don't know. No, he's mad. He's mad. No, that's, a, that's a manager who is just like, dude, he did the one thing I told him not to do. Yeah. I came out there and said, do not let him beat us, and he almost did it. 
he almost did it. And there's a little sense of humor in it because it didn't happen. But yeah, it was it was reminding me. I've never been able to find the audio of it. But uh, in the in the '90s, Bobby Cox was talking about a game in which they gave up a home run. The Braves gave up a home run to Mark Witten, and he was asked. Bobby Cox was asked after the game. He's like, uh, "What happened on the at bat to Witten?" He goes, "The book on him was a dead fastball hitter." We threw in three change-ups and then a fastball, and he hit the freaking seams off of it. Only he used different words that I can't say on the radio. Yeah, yeah. It was just, and it was just the deadpan of like, yeah, we did exactly what we weren't supposed to do there, and he <laughs> clobbered it. That's pretty much what Scott Service said. Yep, that's what happened, and uh, luckily that did not end up costing the Mariners a four-game sweep. We got a couple of text nominations. Geno Smith actually played pretty well on Saturday oh, night. Oh, Geno did look good. Yeah, yeah that's, a couple of that's nice a scrambles. Sol- solid suggestion. If we're going to put a Mariner on there, is it Marco? Marco had another good start, though. He gave up a homer to Salvi Perez. Yeah, I, I think you got to give it to Marco. What about Nick Bowers? Jake Bowers? Uh, Jake Bowers. I keep screwing his name he up. He had a couple of nice plays in, on, in, in the uh, field. So, yeah. As someone, who, as someone who is passionately against infielders in the outfield, I would like to say that I revise my criticism of Jake Bowers. You like him out there. Yeah. Those are a couple of great plays that he made. They really were. Uh, biggest loser of the weekend, Nebraska football. <laughs> yeah, they took oh it Oh, my L. God. Illinois is yeah. terrible, too. Like, that's the one. Pro- Isn't that the one program in the Big Ten that is regularly bad? Even Indiana's had a good season recently. And here we are looking at ugh, ugh, the remnants of the husk that once was the Cornhuskers. Well, uh, Maura Dooley put up a poll. I will retweet it now. Vote for who you think won the weekend. Coming up next, the Royals showed the Mariners the one thing that they're missing. We'll explain what that is next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Salvador Perez is mean. He killed the Mariners this past weekend, Danny. Holy crap. He sure did. There's something that was awesome about watching it, too. I guess. I mean, whenever I saw him at the plate, I, I was thinking to myself, can you can you intentionally walk him? I know the bases are loaded, but, I mean, that was on Friday. And on Friday, with the bases loaded, the day after a Grand Slam, his third Grand Slam of his career, he hits his fourth Grand Slam of his career. And the 1-1 on the way. Perez is swinging a fly ball into center field. Backing up Keldick to the one he tracked to the wall. Leaps up and goodbye baseball. Another grand slam off the bat of Salvador Perez. And he ties the game at 5-5 here in the top of the fourth inning. Perez with a grand slam in last night's game. And a grand slam tonight. And we are tied at 5-5. I was really hoping that Logan Gilbert would be able to bounce back after a couple of rough starts of late. Uh, don't challenge that guy, man. I, I, I would agree with that. But in in honest talk, it's just one pitch, right? Like, does that mean that Logan Gilbert, like, fell off? Like, does it – because I have a hard time saying, like, oh, man, it was, he looked bad. Like he he gave up a, he gave up a grand slam he gave up gave up the worst possible outcome to a guy that's incredibly hot, I I, I don't think the problem was the Mariners pitching, this series the problem was the hitting right it seems like it always is, I mean when yeah. you have a five one lead, that for the Mariners is like a three touchdown lead I would think it's not quite winning the game but you feel pretty good about yourself with the way that they've pitched this season, yeah that's I the story of this weekend is forty men left on base. 
the story of this weekend is that either you get the the offense early and can't get anything late, or we're able to, are just surviving on on solo and two run homers, which to me has kind of been been the story. The story of this was their lineup just didn't didn't hit over the four games, and Salvador Perez was awesome. Seven for seventeen in the series, four home runs and twelve runs batted in over the season. Thirty eight home runs, second in the American League, which is I believe an American League catcher record. Ninety four runs batted in. He's a legitimate star. He's thirty one years old. Yes, and I think that he's the kind of player that is the reason that the Mariners, who are a complete team compared to Kansas City, though obviously need to work on their hitting. They're not that far removed from a team like KC, both because he elevates KC, but also Seattle is lacking that true star on their team. They don't have a type like that. Salvador Perez is having a better season than anyone on the Mariners is. Correct. Right? Like, he's having a better year. It doesn't mean he's a better player or will have a better— He's having a better year than anybody else on the Mariners, and he's doing it at a position where you don't usually get anywhere near that kind of production. A legitimate star. He's hitting two seventy seven too, on top of that. I mean, that's better than most Mariners as well. So you're hoping that you're eventually going to see one of those guys just develop right in front of your eyes, whether it's mm-hmm. Jared Kelnick now. Nice to see him in home run in the sixth inning yesterday or Tulio Rodriguez down the road. So do you just sit back and wait for the oven to bake? Or this offseason, do you go to the hot stove or microwave and try to get something quick to happen? Because the process has Do you worked- go buy a star? Do you go buy a star? When's the last time that's happened where you've bought a guy where the, the, the top free agent has come in and been that kind of franchise-changing player? It hasn't worked here, that's for sure. Robinson, right. Cano, that Cano, did not work Beltre, out. Beltre, Sexton. Yes. Are the, were the big free agent purchases. We've seen in long time ago that... Where? Didn't work with Alex Rodriguez. Manny Ramirez in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, Manny was a stud. That was also a team that started spending a lot more money. Has it worked in Philadelphia with Bryce Harper? No, it has not. How about San Diego with Manny Machado? I think so in San Diego, but they are not as good this year as they probably as we at least told ourselves they would be this year, right? I mean, and and Machado's not their best player, right? No, their best Tatis is, who's also getting paid, but is someone that they developed in house. Yeah, but Tatis is on a different Tatis. You did not pay him market rate. Like, yes, it was an extension, and it was a massive contract, but it's not, you had the advantage of negotiating with him when he knew that he was going to have to wait years to free agency. He, he, You paid Machado market rate. Like, you paid you paid a free agent. Any free agent, like if you're talking about Seager or Baez or uh, Carlos Correa, who else is going to be out there? Simeon, Trevor Story. Like, you're going to pay market rate for one of those dudes. I, I don't know if... You're going to be able, if you pay market rate for a, someone who's a star on the line of a Salvador Perez, if that's going to end up being worth it for you. There's not a lot of examples of that kind of player actually actually making that kind of difference for the team that buys him. Is the bigger problem with market rate the length of these contracts than it actually is the year-to-year salary? I, I feel like that must be it because when these guys are getting up there in age, another one, Jacoby Ellsbury to New York. I mean, he was still under contract, and I don't even think he was on the team for the last two years of that deal. You certainly buy that player knowing that the first, if if it's a long-term contract, if it's an eight- or a ten-year contract, the first half of it, you're hoping to get the value that you're paying him, and the second half of it, you know you're going to be eating a, a, a chunk of that. You hope that some of it's offset by continued production, but you know that he is going to be, he's not going to be playing up to that salary in the back half of that contract. There will be a bunch of 
big market guys. I wonder if Seattle could get, because of that fear about at the at the back end what happens, somebody to come in for a Marcus Simeon kind of deal that we saw Toronto uh, give him this year, which is what, like one year, $20 million or so. Mm-hmm. Guy in his early 30s, you're not 100% sure how much longer it's going to last. You're not sure if what he was doing in Oakland was an anomaly. And, and this year, I mean, the production has certainly been there. So that is an option, I suppose, for you. But I doubt that he specifically is going to want to sign a one-year deal after a one-year deal. I now have a hope that Javi Baez is going to spend the rest of this <laughs> month giving thumbs down, grabbing his crotch, spitting a lot, doing everything to make himself because all of the, the, the baseball fuddy-duddies will get, you can't treat the fans like that, you can't do that, and everybody decides they don't like Javi Baez and you can get him on a, on the discount rate. I don't think paying market rate for stars is the way you get your best player. I think that free agency is something that you use to put you over the top, not something you use to to buy contention. I, I think when teams count on their free agent acquisitions to be the mainstay, to be the, the to be the core cornerstone, I think you end up making mistakes because usually the guys that get to free agency are guys whose teams have passed on extending them previously. You've talked me into patience. So I suppose maybe as far as hitters go, that's not something you're going to spend big on. I know that's Or gonna... wait and see who doesn't get the money that they want. And then I like the Simeon idea. I like that idea of a $20, $20 million one-year deal for someone that you think is really, really good, but you, you're, not, you're not sure. And he didn't get the deal that he wanted. Like, hey, come in here and see if you can, see if you can beat the seams off the, uh, off the ball for a year and then go make your huge payday. Uh, from a starting pitcher perspective, too, is that the same kind of way that you would look at it? Or do you view pitchers differently than hitters? Cause I do a little bit just from the perspective of, with 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 hitters, obviously, you know what's going to happen down the road with a lot of these guys. But some of these pitchers have been able to keep it going into their late thirties of late, maybe because of spin of uh, <laughs> spider deck, like David Price. <laughs> Not David Price. No, no, David Verlander. Price is a terrible example. Well, Verlander went to somewhere that, that all of a sudden guys have had remarkable improvements, and now yeah. he's hurt. Garrett Cole going from is Cole worth it? Cole worth the money the Yankees are paying him this year? I think of late, yes. But I think at first a lot of people would have argued against that. So that's something to throw on the table. How should the Mariners get their Salvador Perez type? Is it by being patient waiting for those guys to develop? Or do they? Maybe should they go after some of the big names that are going to be out there? We'll talk about what the Mariners were not able to do this weekend and also the Seahawks preseason game and a really impressive top-to-bottom victory as well. It's Danny Engelant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Don't go anywhere.